There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, I'm Tyler. And I'm KC. And you're listening to The Element Podcast. What's happening, all my woods people? It is the summertime. It's hot. And uh, this is another version of a summertime Element Podcast where <laughs> we're trying to figure out what to talk about. We are relying heavily on our listenership in this one, KC. Um, so we're very thankful that you guys have sent in questions, video questions. This will be a video podcast at some point that will come out and you'll get to see the beautiful faces of some of these fellers here that are mm. asking questions today. Um, by the way, this podcast is brought to you by First Light. We are glad that they have uh, decided to give us some uh, power for this podcast. Right, That's KC? right, man. And uh, I tell you what, it's been a sweaty betty around here lately. Mm. And uh, the trace pants, that's what we've been wearing. Trace Trance. shirts, all this kind of stuff. Got some zips. Yep. Let's a little air out a little bit. It's pretty nice. I mean, uh, there's probably not a lot better to wear in the summer if you're going to be out scouting around or hunting or messing around. I love a good zip. That's it, man. Zip to it. I don't use my zipper very much. Do you not? The one in the front. Yeah. I'm bad about leaving that one open. <laughs> <laughs> we have a uh, another guy here who tends to leave his zipper open, too. It's pretty funny. Is he? Yeah, Michael all the time. Oh. Well, he's he's a, he is a perpetual zipper violator. I don't know. Me and him are more like than we Y'all think. Y'all are, dude. Y'all are just peas and carrots. Gummit, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that means I'm fixing to break a camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, thankfully, Michael... Uh, I don't know if y'all heard, but Michael had a car wreck uh, mm. that was induced by a cow elk, and uh, <clears throat> he made it through just fine, unscathed, um, and uh, is now on a journey, on a quest to find another vehicle, and he's supposed to send us a picture, so he's not he, here he today to defend Eric himself. Picture. Did he? Yeah, he's got it. Why hasn't he sent it to me? I told him specifically to send me a picture. I don't know if he listens to you. I don't know if he likes me. <laughs> I don't think he does. I don't think he does either. <laughs> It's red. Redneck. 
Dad gum it, yep. dude. Don't tell them what it is. It's though. the nicest. We don't need nicest to be getting, carve any of us. We don't need to be Except getting snooped. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he does have a nice. He truck. just likes some classics, you know. He does. Man. Yep. they last forever. Yeah, that's um, right. So we've done some Q and A podcasts before, but mm-hmm. this one is just a little different. Yeah, because we had listeners send in questions via video. Yeah. Which is neat. I didn't realize how handsome most of our listeners are. Man, it makes me feel like bad. I know. Like, I'm like, why am I doing this? I look pasty and just dumb sitting here in this, you know, on this couch. Y'all should be doing this. That's right, man. Doing podcasts, video podcasts. But we, Mm. you know, you can send in video questions uh, to the element wild at gmail.com if you have one. And once we get enough of them, uh, we will, I mean, We've we've got uh, uh, an episode here. We'll put together another episode if uh, people want to send those in sparingly, uh, and uh, <laughs> we will add. Uh, we'll just keep doing these Q and A video questions as uh, as we go about the thing. Um, so you have that opportunity if you have a particular question for us. We've got some good ones today. Um, I'm pretty impressed by not just like you said the looks of these fellers, but their ability to just be well spoken. And um, I'm just thankful that they they uh, took the time to do this stuff, man. They good, learn good that. job, guys. Um, so with that, we're we getting into this thing right yeah, now. Let's All roll. right, let's do it. So uh, first up, here we go. Hey there, Tyler, Casey, Element Boys. So my question for you is: If uh, you ever had any plans on coming and doing the whitetail thing over in Canada here, uh, I was also wondering how I get you guys to come join me here on a fishing trip in BC. So feel free to shoot me a shot about that. And uh, I was also wondering what your favorite part about doing this whole thing with Meat Eater was. It seems like a pretty cool opportunity. I imagine it's hard to juggle that in your own channel there, but uh, doing a real good job and we're loving all the content you guys are putting out. And yeah, look forward to hearing from you. Cheers, boys. Cool. Yep, that's it. So you can tell Eric is not from Texas. He's from Canada because he yep. said cheers. You know, nobody says that here, but cheers. it's kind of no, a nice they little They say it in Wisconsin. Well, I was saying Texas. Oh. Yeah. They probably do say it in Wisconsin, yeah. don't they? Well, you said he's from Canada. You can tell he's from Canada. So I thought, yeah. well, he's from Wisconsin, too. Might, potentially. Might it's the same place. It's Ohio. <laughs> it's all Canada. It's <laughs> yeah. All yeah. right. So Eric had a couple questions yeah. in there. All right. Tyler. Have you considered, and when are you going to hunt Canadian whitetail? I've been considering this for like 30 years, Me y'all. too. Um, I know that like uh, one of the things that you would see on like real tree monster bucks growing up was Saskatchewan hunts very often. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to go up there and shoot a big old buck. Now, you come to find out things when you get older and you start to actually think, maybe I could go do this. And you find out that like, you got to have a guide or whatever and these different things that kind of make it difficult. Um, so with that, um, it's kind of on the back burner a little bit right now. I looked into it in the last year or so a little bit and it's just like, man, I just don't know if I can really, how I'd be able to pull it off or how that all looks. And it just seems yep. a little bit daunting when I can go to, you know, Illinois and also shoot a really big deer as well. You know, our buddy Clay Newcomb uh, has done some Canadian whitetail hunting, and uh, <clears throat> he's a pretty well-connected dude. He knows a lot of people, uh, partially because of his bear stuff, but that has since dried up for him too, and he kind of doesn't have a an end. You know, it's just like it's it's a difficult thing when you're going international, especially to Canada, Yeah, because um, how can we say this? 
the leadership in Canada sometimes doesn't align with the individual nature of Americans. Uh, but I don't think it aligns with a lot of the Canadians. I don't think so either. <laughs> so, but they're all like, well, you know, they oh, shouldn't fine. say anything bad about <laughs> these guys. You know, I mean, they're not doing a terrible job. It's just yeah, pretty bad. That's you know? right. Yeah. So, but Eric seems to be doing pretty good where he's at. So, yeah. man, I would love to. Um, I just don't know. I, I actually feel less close to that than I've probably been most of my life as far mm. as like the Canadian whitetail thing. Cause you got to yeah. fly over a lot of deer to get to there. I'm telling you, dude. Um, I'm probably more into the second question uh. and that is fishing in BC. <clears throat> yep. Uh, that's something I'm highly interested in. Uh, one of the things with that though, is that, um, the Alaskan coastline stretches way down. So we don't have to go international to hit some of those same waters. I'm assuming now there's always discrepancies on this stuff, but I'm assuming it's pretty similar, you know, all that just northern Pacific coast stuff, that it would be a similar type of fishing. But I'm very interested in fishing that area of the country. I'd like to fish for bull trout up there. That's what I'd like to do mm. in those type of deals. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, Yeah, I'm very interested as well. I've been to British Columbia twice on a sheep hunt, stone sheep hunt. Um as a camera guy and so really you know got to experience some pretty cool stuff up there uh but have not fished there yet Mm -hmm. i've fished very close to british columbia in the seattle area before yeah so yeah i've uh fished seattle as well in uh didn't catch a dang thing. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it's a, it's actually pretty tough. It's uh, kind public, of feast or famine, I think. Public there. access <clears throat> from um, the bank is tough yeah. in that area. Yeah. Um, so uh, I can see Eric has a boat in his footage. Mm-hmm. So maybe, bro. He's on a boat. Maybe. Uh, last thing he asked about was the working with meteor stuff, which has been a huge blessing for sure. Um, I'm thankful for a couple things. One big one is that um, – the collaboration with Meteor on Buck Truck forced us to do something we've never done before. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty cool. And that was like plan out a season and specifically focus on certain hunts. Because if you followed Tyler and I for a while, we've kind of scattershot a lot through the fall. Like we'll plan out September and October and then maybe like the first five days of November. And then after that, it's just whoo, just whatever happens, happens. And uh, this we'll see year, what happened is what we, we, were doing. we were seeing what would happen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that this year, it was a lot different than that. Um, mm-hmm. We still had some flexibility, which I love, truthfully, because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really like to have things planned out that yeah, much. We're both, we're pretty similar in mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know, there's, there's probably a little difference there, but like mm-hmm. overall, you and I are very much like, man, we want whenever the opportunity arises mm-hmm. we want to be able to go let's you know go I mean? yeah so. but uh, i think that uh, the bug truck stuff specifically forced us to uh hunt specific areas at specific times and be creative with production and and kind of be together yeah exactly you know? we, that's a huge point man yeah yeah because yeah, in the past a couple of years before that we were able to uh if i tagged out here you know, I'm going to move six hours to a different state or whatever and hunt for a few mm-hmm. more days before I go home. We'll just kind of keep in touch or whatever and help each other out via phone and on X and all that. And mm-hmm. uh, we were really not able to do that this year very much at all. So it was uh, it was challenging. It's actually it actually makes it harder to, uh, you know, quote unquote, kill more deer. Right. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like, for instance, in Kansas, I kind of sat there for like four days uh, because I, you know, 
had a 90 minute hunt, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I was just like, this is literally like November 2nd, 3rd, 4th and 5th. I'm just sitting there, uh, which was, it, it was actually really nice to kind of like re get the truck organized yeah. and like do some footage, get some footage. I stuff, never you did know, that. Done. I was never the early guy. <laughs> all year long. <laughs> Maybe this year. Maybe. Maybe this year. I'm always like last day, Larry, man. It's just uh, the, the way I hunt, I uh, guess. I don't know. Maybe, maybe your pace it takes is me just a, different. It takes me a long time to figure it out, I think. Kind of, oh, kind of dense, no, know? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so, man. Yeah. Well, Eric, good questions, man. Yeah. Uh, you seem like you got a good thing going on up there in BC. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, if I would just kind of expand on what you're saying, though, too, the the meteor thing has been a big blessing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's a lot of things that you can imagine that are helpful there uh, for us and our families. There are definitely some challenges too. You know, not just the buck truck challenges that we had, but there's challenges with uh, you know now uh, it's still you know the same crew making videos for the meat eater youtube channel and videos for the element youtube channel Mm -hmm. so you know our workload has probably increased a little bit overall um but it's cool because we have a lot of options with that you know and so um it it is challenging there's there's also a lot more moving parts involved um when you have to kind of deal with and answer to other people uh outside of what we used to do was just like KC and I kind of like we'd run stuff by the guys, but overall, like if we're gonna make a decision, it's it's me and KC kind of making a, a decision. So full transparency, you know. Now we have to kind of, um, you know, I would say like we might have to release some of the best whitetail content we've ever put together in May instead of uh, when people are actually not thinking about bass fishing and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, you know, in the fall. So yeah. that's kind of been some of the challenges, but yeah, great one question. The, one of the nice things for us to, you know, we could spend all day talking about this stuff, man. Mm-hmm. So sorry, but just to kind of go on with what you're saying there is that, uh, within the media realm, we're giving a, given a lot of freedom. So oh, yeah. like, because we have, you know, Eric and Greg and Michael, and we go on this hunts, um, these hunts, we, we aren't like on a day to day having to repowwow and make sure everything works logistically. Like we all know how we do this thing. So for seven days we can go and just, I mean, we are, we literally are still the element, you know? Yeah. And it's really cool. No, we, it is. It yeah. is. You're a hundred percent right. Like, uh, really as far as like operations go, mm-hmm. man, like we just do what we want pretty much, mm-hmm. which is cool. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, with that, let's go to our next question. How about, you good with that? Yeah. All right. The Element Crew, what's up? My name's Jake Slunder. I'm checking in from Indiana, next door neighbor to Illinois. Uh, we've got great deer, too. Just don't tell anyone we've got great deer. All right? That's all I ask. You guys are killing it, though. The YouTube videos, the buck truck, uh, your hog hunting videos. My brother just moved to Greenville up the road from y'all, so he's already got some access to hunt some hogs. I'm itching to go down there and give it a shot. But um, I turned him on to you guys, told him to check out some of your videos for some of that Texas pub. I know it's tough to handle down there. But, look, you guys love the Lord most importantly, and that's just so encouraging to me. And every time I tune into one of your videos, man, it's just awesome to see fellow brothers uh, chasing after the same kind of interest. And, uh, man, it's just it's so good. It's so awesome. But my question to you guys is I'm hunting a lot of wetland areas up here, and I'm fortunate enough to do it. It's just difficult at times, whether that's a river or a creek separating a couple parcels. What's some kind of stuff that you guys are looking for in marshes or maybe floodplains that might flood out, might not, just dependent upon – what kind of weather is thrown our way? You know what I'm saying? I appreciate it. Thanks. Awesome, Jake. I don't know how you figured out how to say Greenville. Dude, he has to have some local knowledge. Has to, For dude. sure. His yeah. brother be filling him in. Well, you know, 
there is a southern thing where, like, in Tennessee, they do the vul as well. Nashville. Nashville, mm-hmm. Shubbable, you know, stuff like Shubbable. that. Yeah, that's yeah. a tough one. No, God. <laughs> that's how they do it. I think you just put a biscuit in your mouth and say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but he, he did a good job on that, man. It's, I bet you his brother was like, hey, man, I, I just so you know, they say it when you're down here, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 But it ain't uh, Indiana, Greenville. Yeah. For sure, that'd be Greenville. <laughs> I don't know, man. Indiana is like Mm-mm. a pretty good melting pot. Don't let that Reed fool you. Don't let Reed fool you. Do you think he's got like, <laughs> is there this persona or is that just uh, who it, knows? Man? Who knows, man? Who knows? I don't know. Um, so was there two questions? He, no, he no, pretty much has question. a solid yeah. question about hunting wetland areas. Oh, yeah, that's right. And then, <clears> uh, you know, some of those may flood uh, annually. And some yeah. things to look for in those situations. <laughs> we deal with that stuff. The We don't deal with a ton of marsh stuff down in here or mm-hmm. down here in Texas in the Greenville area. Uh, but we we deal with that when we travel out of state some. Uh, we dealt with it in Illinois last year. If you saw the Illinois version mm-hmm. of the buck truck, um, that was very much a swampy situation. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I understood what a marsh was until we – go out of state hmm. you know around here a marsh is like a, like a marsh area you know it's like, it's like the edge of a lake yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. it's kind of marshy over there but you know you go to some of these places especially the, the flatter part of the country you'll have you know acres and acres and acres of this stuff it's just monotonous just brushy wet stuff mm-hmm. i think when i think about marsh hunting one of the first things that i look at is i go i go into onyx and i I'm looking at these marsh areas. If you so the way to the, the what I assume is that a buck is going to bed in some thick like cattail habitat a lot of times in those marshes. Um, that uh, I think a lot of times enables the buck to escape quickly and move quickly. So it can't be like what you what you have to find on the on the map. I think is you have to find trails mm-hmm. because they. They're not, if there's not trails in the, in like in those cattail marshes, if you're looking at cattails on the map and there's not trails in it, there's probably not deer using it. So you got to figure out like there's going to be spots that like stay wet and the deer are probably not going to bed there. Um, and then there's going to be like sometimes a small margin where it's dry and then there's like maybe the lack of cattails and it's a, it's a tall grass, but it's not as tall as cattails. It's easier to maneuver. And there'll be like a, a straight up on that transition. There'll be a trail that goes down the edge of that thing. And so the idea is to be able to shoot deer moving on those trails in the, in the rut. Uh, but also if you're hunting like pre rut, um, you know, knowing that those trails, like if say these trails kind of come, for those who are watching on video, they come along the edge of this thing. And then there's this one little dip in, it's kind of like a little cove in the, in the reeds or whatever. That's, you can expect that deer might just pop right in there and bed just inside of that in the marsh, uh, in the cattails and be, so like with Hunter last year, Hunter mm-hmm. shot that buck, uh, last year in South Dakota at, that came out of a marsh. He was not bedded far, I don't think. Mm-hmm. They they acted like he wasn't. They thought they heard him get out of his bed and come right out of the marsh and stand there right like he just got out of his bed and eventually got a shot. It's a cool video if you haven't seen it. So yeah, for on sure. YouTube. I think that uh, on the flooding areas stuff is something I have some insight to, and you do as well. Uh, but we deal with this stuff a lot where we live. Not as much marsh, but like – things that annually flood to where you don't have as much undergrowth. And it's kind of, 
it's not open big woods. It's kind of, you know, smaller trees and stuff, but there's just not a lot of, uh, you know, year-to-year buildup of brush <clears throat> underneath there. And I think I want to go back to trails again on that. Um, this reminds me of a place that we hunt here in Texas that um, it'll flood in the in the winter at some point in time, but it doesn't stay flooded for a super long time. And then if that does happen, man, you can just start to see the trails just come alive or however you want to say it. They just show up because all of a sudden those deer are walking around in wet stuff. Man, and this you is can, a point I wanted to make too. You can tell a great point. where they're walking like uh, – recently Mm -hmm. you know you're not looking at trails that have been made year over year and i don't know if y'all have noticed this but if i go to a place and i'm like hunting a trail that you can tell is like a perennial trail oftentimes deer filter through all around that trail but they may or may not actually even be on the trail that you're hunting and you might be off or they might come to the base of your tree and that causes problems yada yada what else could make a a trail in a wetland beavers that's right yeah so that's that can be confusing Mm -hmm. and like what kc's saying is you can see in in mud i was doing this last night legit Mm -hmm. on the map last night and you know where i was looking Mm -hmm. um i was looking at stuff that had recently flooded and you can see like in certain mud muddy areas where like you said it had been flooded long enough that there wasn't vegetation there Mm -hmm. you can see the new trails uh like that are fresh you can see the hoof prints on this mm-hmm. stuff dude and so like you'll see like sometimes you'll see like four or five trails right or like tracks i guess you would say but like one of them is pronounced and mm-hmm. that's the one you probably want to be on and who knows you know you want to make sure you're looking at the right time of year and that kind of yeah. thing but yeah exactly this is a great point man. And, and really uh this is one of those times where the most recent information is pretty pertinent as well like if you're looking at a place that's an aerial snapshot on X or whatever you're using to uh, determine where the trails are, and it's it's a floodplain, well, every new flood just recreates that thing. Uh-huh. So you probably need to go in there and see what the trails look like at that moment. Yeah. You know? So some in-person, in-season scouting is pretty hard to beat in this yeah. situation. And, and at that point, you can confirm whether it is a beaver trail or not. Yeah. But the thing that we were talking about earlier, just a second ago with the mud uh, and actually seeing tracks – that's a good way to also confirm whether a trail is a beaver trail going through a marsh or, mm-hmm. you know, an actual deer you know, trail. You can tell, too, if you if you do enough map scouting and compare this stuff to deer trails in the field, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a really important yeah. portion of map scouting. I, I want to emphasize that, is checking that stuff in field. But you can start to recognize what's a cow trail, what's a deer trail, what's a beaver trail, all these things. And I mean, even not checking it, but you can look in like central Minnesota and it's obvious what is a beaver trail, even though it's a trail and you're like, Oh man, look at all those trails. Like if it's not like weaving around or if it's like really broken looking or something like that's, that is not deer doing that. Deer have a specific way that they do stuff, and they're really, really lazy about it. Where cows tend to choose a little bit more of a straight line. Mm-hmm. Beavers are more sporadic because what's a beaver doing on a trail? It's, he has no destination in no, mind. He's eating stuff. Yeah, and... he's like, it's everywhere, yeah. right? So so deer are going to just be the more, well, of course, the lighter trails, but also the ones that kind of meander and go through the just least resistance. Yeah, for sure. So... Mm-hmm. I guess in marsh and wetland stuff, uh, you know, we, we hunt a lot of floodland stuff, especially locally, that is like, it's got trees, so you can't mm-hmm. see the trails. But in marshes, you definitely, trails are key, man, like, because that is where they're going to be. And, and so then you can start to put together other, you know, 
parts of the whole the the whole thing, you know. And I was another thing, you know, you want to make sure in those marshy areas that you've got your access nailed because you could end up running into some deeper water than you wanted to, or mm-hmm. just getting you know straight up blocked out by a just huge marsh of uh, cattails or whatever. So mm-hmm. definitely keep that in mind. And then you know on that lowland stuff that floods. Um, you know, periodically, um, another thing to think about is like what, what's causing that to flood. And well, it's probably a Creek or river system. Uh, so just straight up in the rut, just being where you can, you know, catch deer going in and out or up and down those river systems and, uh, finding the pinches along that river system that help you to get a shot with mm-hmm. a bow. You know what I mean? So kind of some thoughts there. Great question, man. Uh, I like your shirt too, dude. It's a cool shirt. Anything else? I'm good. Let's go on to the next one. Hey guys, it's Keith Layton here in Michigan. Hey, when I watch the buck truck and I see how mobile you guys are using a tree saddle, you're able to kind of find a piece of land, jump out, set up, and go hunt. For someone that would be new to the tree saddle game, what advice could you give me and what gear should I look to put in my pack that first time around as I learn how to hunt out of a tree saddle? Thanks, guys. Okay, so... um... I'm thankful I wrote some notes about this because I was just looking at that giant eight point that he I had. Know. I was right thinking there. the same thing, dude. That's, That's a, a big deer. <laughs> like, damn, he's asking us for advice. Yeah, I know, man. Okay, so he uh, is thinking about getting into mobile hunting, specifically saddle hunting, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and some some gear he might not normally carry that he would want to carry as a saddle hunter, and just other thoughts. Right? I'm guessing so, he's a tree stand hunter. I'm guessing so, or like a climber or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. So, um, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is confusing. Saddles are confusing if you haven't ever looked into yeah. them, like what you I can you remember need. before. Yeah. So, like, we know Chad at, at Cruiser Saddles really good, right? So we're friends. He showed us how to do stuff. And, and but before we, like, had those kind of powwows with him, I was like, what is all this stuff? What is it? What's a tether? What's mm-hmm. a bridge? You know, it seems really confusing. But essentially – like you're saying, you need to understand the concept a little bit more than you do, like what the <clears throat> names of the different stuff is. And it's mm. not that hard, right? Yeah. Like once you once you get into it. Yeah. And you can make it complicated if you want to. And some guys like to do that because some guys are like, you know, gear nuts about that kind of stuff. And that's fine. Uh, you know, Tyler and I's application, which is what you were asking about, is a lot more practical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just figure out a tree that we want to get in and we figure out a way to strap ourselves to that tree and hook that to our saddle and stand on a platform. So I guess one of the things to keep in mind is if you want to be a saddle hunter, um, you need more than just a saddle most often. Some guys do a thing where like they, uh, do their uh, sticks, which is like how you climb the tree, uh, is this, you know, the sticks that you put on the tree. If you're a climber guy, then you don't, use those yet mm-hmm. so that might be a thing you have to add mm-hmm. uh, and some guys stand on the top of their their last stick and hunt it's not very comfortable we use a platform uh that you stand on it's like a little small tree stand and then you sit in your saddle uh, and really i guess one of the big things with with a saddle is that um instead of facing away from the tree you're usually facing at the tree so it changes the way you shoot quite a bit uh you uh are still going to be strong on your offhand, right? So out of a saddle, it matters matters even more, though, because if you're a right-handed shooter, you're holding the bow in the left hand, everything on your left is going to be where you want to set up, like, your 
most anticipated direction deer are going to be, right? Uh, things are the hardest off your right shoulder behind you. If you look at the Buck Truck Illinois stuff, you could see a spot where the deer was just in the worst place that a deer could be for me, right? Uh-huh. And so, but the saddle gives you the flexibility to be able to rotate and get all those shots. So that's something to consider is is just, um, you're going if, if you're an archery hunter, it's going to change up kind of your approach to where you're going to put the platform, excuse me, compared to the tree stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's just, you might hang it on a different side of the tree even than you yeah. usually would. Yeah. Um, some of the things that I would consider having, um, or bringing with you or thinking about the tree. Uh, one, I put my cell phone in my left back pocket most of the time. And uh, if you do that with a saddle on, you cannot get that thing out of the pocket. <laughs> hardly. Right. It is so hard. So like, make sure that po- that's sitting, you know, I usually have like cargo pa- uh, pants of some sort, whether they've got cargos on the side of the front uh, depends on, you know, where they're made or whatever, I guess. But uh, putting, stuff in those pockets is what uh i would definitely consider doing so like for for instance your phone um i usually have um i have like either my wind checker i will put in a pocket a lot of times i'll have usually i carry two ropes one is what casey and i call a public land hanger we made these things a long time ago that are like plastic carabiner um with like 10 foot of um paracord attached you still use that thing oh yeah really that's use it every time that's cool and so i basically just tie that tie a slip knot and tie that around the tree and hang my pack on that Mm -hmm. and then um i have a pull rope as well and those go in my pockets my cargo pockets so i can get to them as i climb up right while Um, while we're on that note uh, you keep going i'm just going to insert because i asked you that uh i don't do that anymore because um I got to where I like to use. I have that first lot whitetail backpack, and it has a strap built in that you can put around the tree and buckle in. I, and I like that thing a lot. I use it a lot, and then I don't have to do the deal you're talking about. But that has more flexibility because you can change the size up more. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it hang other stuff besides just a pack on it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it works. Mm-hmm. You know, it's what I di- just am used to. So I have that, and then um, you know. Really, to me, I'm not like it does. The saddle stuff just doesn't. The platform doesn't bother me, but I know some guys like you like a stiffer soled boot for that, mm-hmm. uh, for the platform because you're kind of standing and slash leaning the whole evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I usually am pretty flat on my platform, and uh, I would just, I would say probably have more if I was to think about it, more of a flexible ankle in the boot would be good, so that you can just you're just not like having to just go on a 90 the whole day. Um, yeah, that's not fun. So, Which the rubber boots work pretty good for that, mm-hmm. which yeah. is not a stiff sole boot at all. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, depending on where you're hunting, if you're hunting public land or whatever, then you're going to want some sort of hanger for your bow. Uh, and, you know, that's going to be – we. I use rubber wire stuff a lot uh, to hang stuff on. Um, I also have for my lineman's belt. So the two things you use to attach yourself to the tree are either the lineman's belt or the tether once you get kind of set up. As you're going up, usually I use the lineman's belt. 
And I've got a rubber, little like foot long rubber wire piece that I hang off of one of the Molly straps in my saddle. And so when I get done with that, there's no stuff sack to try to work it into or anything. It's easy for me just to take that rope and fold it into like, you know, little foot long pieces and then wrap the rubber wire around it and it stays tight and it's, it doesn't make noise hardly ever. I mean, I never have really any issues with it. And it's a really quick way to just get rid of the rope and go tether into the tree and be, be good. Um, you can get those uh, mechanical Prusik knots that will help you just be quicker to make adjustments when you're using your your tether or your uh, lineman's belt. I actually put it on my lineman's belt and don't have one on my tether just because I feel like it it attaches to the carabiner. It's a little loud in my opinion, so I don't like uh, I don't really love it on my my tether. But I'm thinking about going back to it and maybe just using some some tape and stuff to kind of quieten it down because. Really, there are situations. The, the 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 best thing about a saddle, in my opinion, is they're like multi-axis upon which you can like move and get shots in holes in the woods, right? And so with that, um, you you're gonna you're gonna have more ability to get uh, those shots if you can pull the tether in and out really quickly and adjust how long it is to to either lean back. Or, you know, even like if you're going to, if you're going to shoot like your six, a lot of times you can turn around on your platform and go safety belt, you know, or seat belt over the, the shoulder and you, you would need to adjust and tighten that potentially. So with that, I, I'm thinking about going back to it and just trying to quiet down that system, but I didn't use it last year. It just doesn't attack. It doesn't adjust very quickly if you don't have the mechanical prusik mm-hmm. on there. So those are... Those are some things to think about. Uh, also, another great thing about the saddle is that we can go in and walk for several miles and not feel guilty about not using our tree hanging, you know, setup. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can hunt from the ground. And, and even I've I hunted this week, this past week, when we were hunting Axis, I hunted from the ground, no platform, but sitting with a saddle. So I hung in a tree ground level and just leaned back from that tree because we didn't have seats with us mm-hmm. or chairs with us. So... Uh, and it worked. I mean, we had deer at 25 yards that didn't see us, you know. Mm, it's pretty spooky. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things to consider when you, if you do start saddle hunting is that uh, in in the tree, you kind of want to do a little swinging and swaying every once in a mm-hmm. while. So you just kind of have to keep that in mind, you know, just be uh, cognizant of um, that being an issue. But otherwise, I mean, there's not a lot of drawback to a saddle. I mean, I think the ones we use are super comfortable. Uh, it's still not a like huge big old tree stand that you can get real comfortable in yeah you know uh and i'm a leaner too uh so there's there's like there's like sitters and leaners and saddles i think the sitter guys get a little bit more comfortable but uh at the same time I, I feel better about shooting in the leaning uh stance so that's what i usually stick with and it's just easier to set up but the the fact that you can just get in any tree just makes it such a huge yeah, fit, man. it's nice, man. Those you, little platforms fit. You can be real uncomfortable, nooks. but you can be hunting the right sap sucker. Oh, I was in. I mean, if you watch South Dakota buck truck, I was super uncomfortable. I was holding myself kind of sideways. That's the one thing about it is like, uh, you can get into a tree, but you your rope might want to pull you because the tree's leaning mm-hmm. one direction, and you wouldn't be able to put a tree stand there. But so you can get in that tree, but you're going to be uncomfortable, yeah. and so. Uh, I was, but I was in the right tree, and I had a deer at 10 yards. You know it's not mean? often that uh, the comfortable guy is the one who's killing the deer. No. From time to time. But, yeah. you know, like, there's a little discomfort involved with, with uh, 
getting after them. Cold weather, whatever. Mm-hmm. It could be a bunch of different things, right? Yeah. So, good question. Uh, you want to move on to the next one? Yeah, sure. All right, here we go. What's up, Element Podcast? Micah Thompson here from Belton, Texas. My question is going to be a would-you-rather scenario. So the question is, would you rather kill a buck on every trip you get to go on, out of state, and then one in Texas, either public or private, but it can only be between 115 and 130 inches? Or would you rather kill one buck a year, but it's a booner? Try to answer this question from the mindset of you don't know what you get to kill every year. So going into the season, you don't get to know, oh, sweet, I get to kill a buck on every trip, or, oh, sweet, I get to kill a booner this year. What state is it going to be in? All right, let me know. Cool shirt, bro. (laughs) Micah. This is a tough question. Yeah, he's like, Micah's been around for a while. He's he's been an element father for a long time. We're kind of friends. And then he's going to ask us some mean question like this that, I, I know my answer, but could it, does it change every year? Or is it no, just... I think it's like in perpetuity. I th- that's really? the problem. Yeah. Ooh, that is the problem. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm thinking I'm with you. Go ahead. What's your answer? Like, well, let's just say. Dang, if it's in perpetuity, it might change my answer. I know, but here's the here's the problem, okay, is that like, yeah, I like to shoot big bucks because I like big old antlers, but one deer doesn't feed my family. Mm. So then there's like this whole like, well. And now that you're on Meat Eater's team, you can't say <laughs> anything right. about that. They can't so, say anything about antlers, right? Nope. <laughs> oh, uh, man. All right. I have so to answer first. To, to manipulate his question a little bit, we're going to do uh, in perpetuity, and then we're going to do just for this year. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to say if it was just this year, give me the boner. I want to shoot a boner cock at ear. I think it would be cool. Tyler? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a meat hunter through and through. Good, so uh, I would say I'd probably be, if it was just this year, I would be shooting uh, 115 to 130s in every state. Would you? Every every trip. That's good, man. Have fun. <laughs> what would you do if it's in perpetuity? I would shoot a bunch of deer. I would shoot that. I would shoot a booner. <laughs> every year? Yeah. Really? We're the opposite. For sure, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was surprised we were the opposite on that. Him. Dude, I want to shoot like 600 deer in my lifetime. So it's hard to do that with just one booner a year. That's right. Yeah. That's a lot, dude. That's 10 a year for 60 years. I know. That'd be cool. I'm behind. You are. <laughs> that's right, dude. Get your gun out, boy. I guarantee you that make a difference. <laughs> yeah, either way, that's a tough question. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I mean, thankfully, honestly, I don't have to face that. You yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It, it, it is true. Um, we don't know what we're going to get to shoot uh, whenever we head out on a hunt, you know? Like, yeah. you know, there's some places or states that have uh, different potential for sure. And there's sometimes I'm like, dude, I just want to kill a deer there because it'd be cool. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not really th- a thing that most people wrestle with. But it's a fun thing to think and talk about in June. I guarantee you that, Micah. So, appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. 
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth market house has the cleanest leanest juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier yeah and market house provides everything from grass-fed beef to free-range chicken Mm. grass-fed lamb and even wild-caught king crab and seafood Market House keeps small farm values, trusted sources, and clean mouth-watering food for your family. And like I said, Market House ships all orders overnight. Order today, enjoy tomorrow. And you can even keep the camo on for dinner, even if filet mignon is on the table. With Market House, it doesn't matter because the cuts and catches come straight to your door. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. And everybody knows how hard it is these days to find high-quality, sustainably sourced meat and seafood at their local grocery store. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. Hey guys, Nick here from Austin, Texas. Um, as a fellow user of Moultrie mobile cameras, I'm really interested to know about what goes into your decision-making process when picking a spot and then also maybe the features that you use that are key difference makers for you when you're out there in the woods setting up your game cameras. Thanks so much for everything that you do and God bless. Cool. All right. He's actually got two questions. We'll hear from him again here in a little bit. Um, I just figured out after listening to his question I figured out what he means by features. He means actual on-camera features. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, yeah, not so, terrain features, not terrain features and yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean when I mm-hmm. when I think about picking a spot, mm-hmm. um, I'm thinking about a place that deer are going to come through in front of my camera within sixty foot or so. Mm-hmm. 
as much as possible. So it's similar, you know, a trail camera would set up to be good in a, in a bow hunting spot. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like where you're going to bow hunt might be a good place to have a trail camera. Yeah. Uh, so like any sort of pinch, we use secondary creek crossing some. Uh, you might use uh, just like like uh, brushy areas, you know, that have just vines, as Mark Kenyon calls them, brambles. <laughs> uh, that might be, um, you know, choking your deer trail down or whatever, your trails into kind of one trail. Uh, fence crossing would be a great place to put one. Um a feeder, you can get lots of deer there. The back corner of an ag field, um, you know, furthest from the road or whatever, um, you know, those kind of areas. Or like even like the inside corner of an ag field that comes up close to the creek or something, you know. Those are those are places to put them. Depends on the time of year too, you know, rut. Get a little more traveling. Uh, pre-rut, you might want to be, you're going to want to be closer to a buck's bed probably or, you know, food source at least to get them. Uh, going but yeah i mean and and then all these scenarios kind of help determine the settings we would use right Mm -hmm. yeah and i think too another point on that uh is uh i i'm gonna this might be a little broad but i'm gonna pick a spot to put a camera on a property that i know i'm gonna get to hunt some and that there's a deer i want i think there's a deer i want to hunt there you know like Mm um you these cell cameras nowadays aren't as expensive as they used to be but it's not just a cheap thing that you just fling everywhere right so it's good to pick a good spot that's going to actually you know do you some good to, ha- to have a camera in there and then you know to go into the features thing one thing with cell cameras that i don't think people people realize is that the settings on that camera are just like a regular show camera except and i think this is for all brands not just Moultrie mobile but i think uh as that camera is trying to upload that picture, that camera then becomes neutral until it gets the picture uploaded. So you need to keep that in mind whenever you're setting up your camera as far as the resolution you're going to use and compare that to the amount of service you have there or if you're going to do video versus um, you know, picture or burst. You know, If you do a burst... And you do you want that you have the twenty four megapixel setting on there, and you do a three picture burst. Well, that's going to take a lot more bandwidth to upload than just a single. And in in fact, I've done this in a place where it's sketchier service. And what are those new cameras? The edge cameras, they're real, they're like they just pick up any service, right? So it doesn't have to be Verizon AT AT and T specific. Uh, but you still are hanging those in really sketchy places and, and, you know, low service areas. In fact, locally, where we pig hunt, I do not have cell phone service. That's what I said on the video mm-hmm. the other night. Yep. But the camera works, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, except that's still probably a pretty high workload because the top upload speed down there is real low. Mm-hmm. So I think we have those all set for the low megapixel setting so that those pictures will get out because – you know, you might have it on a single trigger, but a hog walks in front of it, and if you have it on, like, video, say, for instance, something super heavy, it's going to take that thing who knows how long, and you're going to miss a ton of information uh-huh. of stuff that walked by. Because I don't know if y'all know this, but if you ever sit near your trail camera on a hunt, you realize how much goes on outside of what is captured on the camera. Yeah. You know, anytime you get a picture of a deer, you have to assume that, you know, an exponential amount more things happened while that deer was in there. And he, and for instance, I go back to buck truck in Oklahoma. Um, I had that deer on camera one time 
while we were in there. But I know the area, and I know how much that deer was using that thing. And the fact that he was in there once, I was like, oh, he's around. Mm-hmm. And then go in there and hang and, and shoot him like the first time. Daylight, baby. That's it, man. You know, so I guess what you're saying is, you know, especially during the rut, you know, you be careful about the stuff. The the one the one reason there's a couple of reasons you'd want a high quality picture, but one I can see a scenario where a guy's trying is really trying to understand how old the deer is. Like mm-hmm. if you're hunting a private piece and you're trying to shoot five year old deer or whatever, um, there also might be kind of this whole thing where it's like, man, which one of these ten points do I want to shoot this year? Like which one's going to be a little bigger? Which one's got extra junk or mm-hmm. whatever? So you may not want to use lower settings in that scenario. So I understand it, but if you're the guy that's like going to put some of this stuff out on public land or whatever and you're like trying to shoot you know the first three-year-old nice buck that comes through put them suckers low resolution mm-hmm. and let them you know because you don't want a doe to come through and set that thing off and a buck right on its heels to be mm-hmm. you know missed because you want a 24 megapixel yeah but another, to give you a counterpoint there on public ground you don't always have as uh specific a spot to hang the camera. Sometimes you're hanging the camera, pointing at this direction, and hoping you pick up some deer. So if you, you know, say you're in an area where deer just filter through, it's not a fence gap or it's not a really good pinch, and uh, you're on public ground, you might want the high resolution uh, as long as you have plenty of good service because you might get a picture of a deer that's at 70 feet. And, you know, if it's on four megapixel, you're going to have a hard time really telling what that thing is, especially yeah. at night, you know? I would say those are spots that i put cameras to learn if a spot is any good mm-hmm. outside of that if i know the spot could be good i'm not i'm not putting a camera like that you know what i mean like i if i'm gonna just be like all right, i'm gonna see which trail they're on then i'm new to this spot if i if i've figured if i put a camera in there and done that then my next move is to figure out where uh you know which trail is the best i'm gonna move it to that trail and i'm gonna try to really crack down on this is the the pinch this is where i'm gonna kill this deer now I just need to know when he's coming through, mm-hmm. you know. And so in that scenario, yes, you would want a higher megapixel, but you also wouldn't maybe be using MRI or most recent information mm-hmm. as like, I got to hop in there and go tomorrow, you know what You I know, mean? this actually brings up a really good point back to kind of the first part of his question <clears throat> about how do you determine where to put a camera uh, with cell cams. One of the ways I turn to put a cell cam there is if it's a place I don't get to visit very often. Or yeah. It's really hard to get to. And that's kind of what you're bringing up there is like, it's one of the reasons it takes us forever to hang a trail camera sometimes mm-hmm. because we are like, we're not going to be back here for three months. Yep. Um, it's got to be perfect. What, yes, that's right. <laughs> it has got to be on the money yep. where you hang it. You can't know? miss high, can't miss low, can't miss left, right. And, that's right. You know, it's got to be the right settings. It's got to be, you know, is it going to flood here? Because mm-hmm. if there's a creek system nearby, we might hang this thing six foot up or mm-hmm. higher, even, you know, even on private stuff, you yeah. know. So, some yep. things to think about for Good sure. Good questions, man. Yeah. Great question. All right. Hey, guys. My name is TJ. I'm in southwest New Mexico. My question is about starting to scout for pre-rut whitetail in late season. I've got an archery cooster tag in January. We've hunted them in the past with a little bit of success, but it's hard-earned and few and far between. I love that you guys like to get out on the ground and mix it up. That's been what we've done in the past. I'm looking at trying to implement more typical traditional whitetail strategy on coos deer this year, trying to set up cameras in scrape lines, sitting on ridges, running more cameras, tree stands, etc. There's no particular 
pool uh, of food source in this area. Um, my question for you is when I'm looking at pre-rut scrape lines, which ones do I focus on? Is there anything you can tell me that make one better than the next? Thanks a lot. So this dude probably knows more about these deer, these coos whitetail than we do. Mm-hmm. So we're going to just talk here, TJ. And if we say something stupid, we're sorry. Okay. <laughs> we're talking about whitetail in general. And yeah. then you probably know when the coos deer just don't do something normal like that. Yeah. I've got some ideas. I've got you some live thoughts. in a cool place, dude, oh, by yeah, the way. For sure. Yeah. Um, and you probably, like I said, know more about this than us. But I think, you know, I would assume that uh, it could be pretty dry in January. And even though it's not hot, deer need to drink some water here and there. So uh, any water you know, sources that you could find out there in that dry des- desert country would probably be a good idea. Um, and then, you know, outside of that, like one thing that is going to be, is going to be a limited resource as well out there is what are they, what are they eating? I would assume in January, you know what I mean? What are those deer eating in January? You said there's no ag really in the area. And I know, I understand that. And I know why, um, because I've been to that area. Um, so we, I think what, one thing that gets lost in modern deer culture, we've talked about this recently, is learning wild food sources for these deer and learning what they look like, how to locate and, and to acknowledge them, and then how to treat them as in what time of year are they being fed on and preferred, and how do you kill deer moving to those when there may be quite a bit of it on the landscape. So... I know with these with these mountain whitetails, whether they're coos or you know Dakota whitetail or whatever, they tend to congregate in areas that are like historically whitetail areas, right? It's not like it's weird, but you'll see whitetails in a group here that's in like a you know three mile radius, and then they won't be the next fifteen, and then there will be another group over there. And, you know, and sometimes they're, they're, you know, as Brandon Rhodes would say, spattered <laughs> across the landscape. But they tend to be in these, like, groups, and they hang out in these areas. And I don't know if you have figured this out, but there's a reason. And we may not be able to see it or notice or recognize it, but there's a reason that they like that spot. And I think it has to do with a lot of things, the shelter, the food, the elevation, the water, and all those things probably play into each other in some form or fashion as well. So if you can figure out what that is and why they like that area so much, um, then then understanding maybe time of day they would go to the water, water source, understanding that they're going to be eating at night more than any other time probably. So if you can figure out, oh, well, this is a particular type of uh, grass or forb that for some reason is pretty much evergreen, but it's not a pine or something like that. Like they're not going to eat pine really. You know what I mean? So you find some sort of evergreen forb that's growing on the landscape and they, they eating that they're eating this, which you might could, you know, you could do some spotting through the spotting scope and figure out what are these deer eating? Like, can I zoom in on that and figure out what that plant is or go over there later after they're, they're gone, figure that out, find where it grows. You know, it might grow around Creek systems that have like, you know, spring pools throughout or whatever, and it grows around those. So it may not even be that they're drinking the water from those spring systems, but the spring system is bringing the forb into fruition and giving them something to eat. So 
those are kind of my thoughts. You talked about ridges and stuff there too a little bit. Casey, you got thoughts on that? Uh, I think you mentioned scrapes specifically. I got yeah. some thoughts about scrapes. Okay. Because um, this is January would probably be the rut. Yeah, I think that's what he said. You know, he said the late season pre-rut, which is so kind of strange okay. for us, you know. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of the, the scrape thing. That's what we would think of late October probably is kind of what he's talking about for what they have going on out there. Um, so finding the right scrape is is hard to do. I've hunted some real good scrapes and not seen a deer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty tough. Um, I think that as you move closer to the rut, your opportunity to see a good deer at a scrape is is higher. Um, and there's a lot of other factors in there. But I think if you want to talk about finding the right scrape, there is a tactic to this. Um, you mentioned scrape lines. And uh, we're all talking about the same thing. Uh, when we, we look at this, but I don't really believe in a true scrape line. I don't think a deer sets out and says, I'm going to create a scrape every 100 yards for 600 yards or whatever you, it is. You know, I think that the reason we see scrapes and lines is um, just a result of how deer travel a landscape. And what you're looking for is, you know, these deer are going to make these scrapes along trails because they're communication devices, right? They're not making scrapes. Usually, every once in a while, a deer make a scrape just because he's, like, all ramped up, right? But essentially, a scrape is a place that a deer's like, oh, I want to leave my scent here and get other deer to leave their scent here, too, so he can communicate and see who's in the area, um, which it's probably way more complex and also, at the same time, way more ignorant than that because they're animals and just think way different than we do, mm-hmm. right? Um, but... What you're going to look for is a place where deer are traveling and they travel from a different direction to get there and they travel from another direction to get there and another direction to get there. And that can either be like what Tyler was saying, a place where animals congregate because of resources, or it could just be a place where they um, all these things intersect. We go back to some of the stuff we've hunted in the Midwest. Um, you can even do this on an aerial. You can figure out, oh, deer traverse the side of this hill a lot and then they also walk this valley right here a lot and those two things come together there there's probably going to be a scrape down there in that bottom sure enough you go find a leaking branch in the summer so you can do that same thing potentially with coos deer if you know the way they travel through a country um, and you can find a spot where all these things come together then that's going to be a meeting area and a hub and if you can find a scrape there that scrape just by pure ratio is going to have more deer visit it because more deer are coming into that general area. Yeah. Right. And then, uh, that all builds on itself because it's the most popular scrape. And then by the time the end of the rut gets here, that thing's the size of, you know, a couch. Mm -hmm. And whereas those ones that just popped up that weren't in very good places, they kind of die out. Mm -hmm. We ran into this last year in Illinois in buck truck. Um, we were hunting a bunch of scrapes and didn't see I never saw a deer at a scrape. I think mm-hmm. you all might have one time, right? Uh, a deer was around scrapes at least. Yeah. Over near the marsh. Yeah, he was around. Um, I don't know if he's. I didn't see him hit a scrape, yeah. but I saw him do a little licking mm-hmm. on a branch one time. And it was time. It was tough because we thought we were hitting that farm at the right time of year, mm-hmm. and uh, we pretty much have kind of figured out that everything was a week or two late mm-hmm. last year. So you know, if we were there the next week, it'd have been rocking and rolling. I think so. And we'd have been able to kill deer over scrapes. But I think that's another good point there too. Don't hunt scrape too early or at the wrong time. Uh, you know, like if it's not rocking and rolling yet, it might be a good time time to hang a camera, you know, on that scrape and figure out when deer start to daylight on them because that's a big deal. You know, if they're only using them at dark, you're just gonna bump deer going in and out of there. Can you use cameras in New Mexico? I think so. 
Arizona Arizona's a place <clears throat> you okay. can't, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, just multiple, like, trails or variables that intersect at a place. Mm-hmm. Fence lines, uh, you know, if, if uh, there's a trail going up and down a ridge system, and then there's also a saddle, small saddle in that system, that's where two trails are going to intersect, right? Mm-hmm. If you can find a licking branch there, that's a good place to be, man. But, yeah, KC is right. You need to find the best the best one. And then on top of that, or outside of that, we are by no means coos deer hunter mm-hmm. so uh if you if we didn't clarify good enough just maybe reach back out send another question in we'll try to re-hit this question again and maybe we can help you out a little bit more i'm, I'm sorry if we didn't do a great job but that's kind of what we were that's how we would do it on dakota whitetails right i'd be interested to see people experiment with some more whitetail like eastern whitetail top tactics on coos deer yeah more, for sure. more rattling more grunting but yeah. just hunt them aggressively because i know the the western style of hunting specifically rifle hunting is to sit back watch and try to pick a shot you know and i think that there's potential at least i'm not sure if it'd work or not but it, to go in there and get aggressive cover ground try to call those things in yeah could be fun at least <laughs> let us know how it goes man all right next question hey y'all this is walker from north texas uh my question is so we've been out here hunting this property for a little bit and we see hogs on the trail cams uh, just about every night but then when we get out here trying to get on them either from the blind or on a spot and stalk we can't seem to find them what do y'all recommend or what are y'all's you know tips for uh getting on hogs whenever you can see them on the cams so was it last it was two nights ago that i went hog hunting and the this is something you have to think about when you got a trail camera on a feeder is that hog looks like he's coming in from a certain direction and he is likely checking the wind on that feeder or those those hogs right but Mm -hmm. especially you know like some of the older pigs they're going to try to get the wind before they actually come in so if uh you know a hog looks like it's coming from the west then it's probably because you've got a southeast wind. And in your North Texas, um, you're going to have a lot of southeast, especially this time of year. So if he looks like he's coming in from the west, it's probably because you've got a southeast and he's just trying to get the wind before he comes into that feeder. Um, but the, the, the thing is, he is betting where he wants to bed. It doesn't matter... It doesn't matter which way he looks like he come, he's coming in from. He's going to bed where he wants to bed, and it may not be a straight line into the feeder. So just understand that, right? So what I would assume is happening is you guys are getting smelled on the way in. That's my my assumption. You recently have kind of dealt with this where we didn't know we didn't know where that boar was bedding. We had a big boar coming in down there at Brian's, and yeah like every time you went he wouldn't show up mm-hmm. right and it was because we just couldn't figure out where he was bedding but we were spooking him on the way in so that place you have to pretty much access from one cardinal direction mm-hmm. so it's just almost impossible to to get the pig killed there but that's just what you have to deduce after you've been messing around there for a couple hunts when everything works out except the pig doesn't show mm-hmm. and that's just not fun right and so I think that access is a huge thing. On yeah. There. I think it's a big point. Man. Also, uh, I know I don't know what you guys are doing, but I know guys in Texas like their side-by-sides and their ATVs. Mm-hmm. Um, those pigs are smart animals. They don't see well. They hear decent. They smell really well. Um, 
they're not idiots by any means. You can walk right to them and people think, oh, these are dumb, but they just don't see that well. Mm. But that doesn't mean that they wouldn't have smelled you if they had the wind or heard you if you had a four-wheeler coming in. So you mm. got to be careful not to alert them that there are people around by using an ATV or something like that in any proximity to that feeder. Yeah. A couple of other things, too, is I don't know if you even mentioned feed in there too much. Uh, I'm yeah. assuming if you're in Texas. Maybe, I thought he yeah. said feeder, but maybe I maybe missed not. Up. I'm sorry. Uh, but – if you're not, dump the corn to those suckers. Yeah. And with that, don't go in there the first day you see that pig on mm-hmm. on daylight. Let them suckers get, like, patterned up. Because, honestly, and I know it's fun to go hunting no matter what. Don't get me wrong. But if you're trying to kill pig, the way to do it is to, like, have, like, a week of data and have that sucker feeling nice mm-hmm. about where he's going. And then he'll kind of slip up a little bit and – uh you know, instead of them giving you the slip, you, you can slip it on the in there. Slip. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, hope you get them, man, or hope you get them. All right, next question. Hey, Element Crew, I have a question for you guys, and it's this. How do you re-scout an area that you've hunted before? What I mean is that things can change from year to year, whether that's environmental factors, food source, water source, deer patterns, whatever. If you're going into an area where you have previous knowledge, how do you rescout that same area without letting your previous knowledge affect your opinion too much? Thanks, guys. God bless. You want to go first? Sure. Uh, I'm just going to be honest and say I let my previous knowledge affect me too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. South Dakota is a huge place for this, and I've hunted that state a few times, and I always end up going up there with a preconceived notion and then having to adjust dramatically to that. Um, I do think that, though – it is like I do think that though it is likely worth um, still hanging on to some information. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to give some examples here in a second of when you wouldn't. Yeah. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen 
to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Yeah, and Market House provides everything from grass-fed beef to free-range chicken, Mm. grass-fed lamb, and even wild-caught king crab and seafood. Market House keeps small farm values, trusted sources, and clean mouth-watering food for your family. And like I said, Market House ships all orders overnight. Order today, enjoy tomorrow. And you can even keep the camo on for dinner, even if filet mignon is on the table. With Market House, it doesn't matter because the cuts and catches come straight to your door. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. And everybody knows how hard it is these days to find high-quality, sustainably sourced meat and seafood at their local grocery store. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. But at the moment, I think that like South Dakota, you're going to a place that's far away. You might as well go see if it's still happening the way you thought it was and then get there. And you're going to go in there, scout, hunt, whatever, and you're going to have to make notions off of what you observe anyways. So if you don't go off your preconceived notions, then you have no starting point as to which to build on or take away from. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my thoughts on on that is I'm still going to always about near use that. And, you know, if you don't have a lot of time, that might change a little bit, you know, but I think that that probably brings up the point of give yourself time to get there and learn new things and, and be able to go make some success happen after that. Mm-hmm. We, we talk about eliminating ground a lot, mm-hmm. and even off of your preconceived notions, if you go back in there and there's nothing going on that you thought was going to happen, you're eliminating not necessarily ground, but you're eliminating, uh, like, what they're doing, mm-hmm. right, or whatever. You're going, well... This isn't happening in here anymore. I wonder if it's this property or I wonder if it's a drought or, like you said, some sort of environmental condition. Mm -hmm. Is it a a product of a big, you know, clear cut or Mm -hmm. what, you know? See, I think that's where you do go in and all of a sudden you're like, okay, everything's completely different. If um, the crop is completely different, probably can just change, Mm -hmm. you know? Say it, it was alfalfa last year and this year it's beans and it's cut, well... Things changed completely. Mm-hmm. If uh, you go in there, you know, say you're out east and, uh, you know, you're hunting big woods and then a logging operation came through and your whole thousand acres has been clear cut. Well, you're going to treat it. It's a whole new property. Mm-hmm. Probably better for deer hunting. It's going to mm-hmm. be hard because you're having to relearn the thing. But at that point in time, you just treat it like it's completely different. Yeah. Um, but I still think that deer are going to always act like deer. Mm-hmm. So you got that and you hit pocket. Yeah. You know, like you're good with that. I would say one thing we deal with a lot is, um, especially like when I say locally, I mean in Texas on public, pretty heavily pressured overall. Mm-hmm. And so hunter pressure is actually this one of these factors you're talking about that changes the landscape. You go back in to, to look at a property, maybe like September, hang some cameras or whatever. And all of a sudden, you know, there's dudes that are, you know, 
also been in there hanging cameras or you go in there in November and there's a dude's been hunting in there and he's messed the whole thing up. Um, you know, you still, you still want to hold on to that information that you previously had because really the idea is probably like, well, it's messed up. There's, there's, I'm either going to adjust to this or this is a small enough piece that I can't really do anything here. I'm going to go elsewhere. Um, but either way, you're not hunting right there where, where you used to hunt. But what we've seen is an ebb and flow. And these guys will go into these, these properties and you'll have an entire year that's messed up. And it's unfortunate because it took a lot of time to, to find this spot and for it to pay off for you. You may have shot a deer in there before. And then a guy comes in there. You put it on video. And then, and then the guy comes in there <laughs> and, uh, and says, I'm going to try that, you know, and messes it up. And, but guess what? He messed it up. He probably didn't kill a deer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Uh, if you were actually looking at statistics, probably didn't kill a deer, right? Um, guess what he's going to do when he doesn't kill a deer? He's going to be like, man, this place kind of stinks, man. I didn't see nothing, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't want to hunt it right. He wasn't using the wind right. He wasn't hunting on the right wind. He wasn't accessing it right. You know, he didn't sit in the right tree even to see the deer, right? Mm-hmm. So then he gives up, and the next year, He's not back out there again, or he's at least not in that spot, you know? And then you take your all your preconceived uh, notions and all of the things that you learned before, you apply them back again year two or three or four or whatever it is, but the, the next year, and they're doing what they were doing before a guy was in there because nothing else has changed environmentally. They haven't done a clear cut. Uh, you know, they haven't done anything. We got, you know... You would end up, you would have, if you had crop, even if you had crop rotations, you'd probably have the same crops you had the year that you were successful as you did, you know, the, that next year, obviously two years later or whatever. So it ends up working pretty good for you. And I think like that, if hunter pressure is the issue and it's not environmental, you definitely need to keep those notions in there. And I think well, I'm with KC, just like overall, you have to consider everything and you got to mm-hmm. be creative. So, uh, when you go into rescout, um, just start with the fact that this is what they were doing. Oh, I figured something out that's changed. Well, what would that do to these animals? What? How would this set them? If it's a food source change, how would that adjust where they are? Because typically if they're bedding, if you know where their bedding is and nothing's changed there, they're going to continue bedding there unless their food source literally moves like you know, a mile or whatever, then they might bed closer. But still, even if it's a long ways from a food source, a buck is probably going to bed in a very remote spot that he was comfortable with before. So, you know, you have to think about how does this affect deer and like back to the coos deer conversation, deer are deer and Mm -hmm. they do deer things. So here's some ways to do this. Food, water, shelter, companionship. Yep. That's what they're looking for. They're they're best friends. You know what I mean? (laughs) Romantic companionship. Okay, here we go. All right. uh, Looks like this is the last question. Uh, And the GoPros are still running. That's good. uh, We've still got video here, and that's good. (laughs) So we're going to answer this question real quick, hopefully. Hey, guys. Nick here from Austin, Texas. As a fellow user of Onyx, I'm really interested to know what are the two or three key features that I might be overlooking when using Onyx to optimize my time in the woods. Really interested to know your feedback. Thanks for everything that you guys do, and God bless. Uh, you and I, it's weird how like different but also similar we are a lot of times. And we end up, like our map stuff is not that different from each other a lot of times. There's a little bit of different approach, I feel like, Mm -hmm. and a few different things. But the way that we look at, like, using Onyx, um, 
like it's generally, I would say, less detailed than more detailed in in, a, in like a uh, uh, functions and and different things that you mm-hmm. could look at and do right. Yeah. Like, how much do you use the wind stuff? I don't use the optimal wind direction thing hardly yeah. at all. Now, if either. it's like preseason map scouting, I might mess with it a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. But I, I just we about near have very few predetermined stand locations when we go places, anyways. And I think when you're approaching like your home property versus like a travel thing, it's completely yeah, different true. too. But you do mess around with icon color a lot. I feel yeah. Like. I've I mean I've definitely got the way some ways that I do it but I'm I'm saying like if you look at the capabilities of Onyx mm. app you and I are kind of uh very surface level we don't mm-hmm. we don't get super involved because you and I we kind of understand what we're looking for mm-hmm. we understand what we were thinking when we were looking at that pen yeah <clears throat> well but, I think that that's how Onyx has it designed too is it works for all hunters yeah when we're specific like traveling sometimes public land yeah. whitetail hunters it's like there's some specific things that are really detailed that we use but i'm not going to really use the uh prairie dog access layer too much right you know yeah i mean we're that's <laughs> right it's it's so capable like the yeah. app can do some awesome stuff and we'll occasionally use stuff like you know whatever cwd zones or burns or whatever mm. like but overall you and i will go in and find good places on the map mm. you know and I think this this comes back to how you and I like to keep our options open. It's like when we put a pin down, yeah. like we don't like to we don't like something to tell us that you can't hunt it on this. Oh wind, yeah, you know exactly. What I mean? Yeah, because um, it's like, well, maybe I do want to do that. Yeah, you yeah. Because you never know what direction that deer's coming from because you're from out of town or whatever. Right, right. But I do have some that I think that help me a lot with our scenarios quite yeah. a bit. Um, the line distance with two fingers, I'm using that thing a ton mm-hmm, nowadays. It's mm-hmm. a huge help. Um, you know. Used to, you had to like go in, select the tool, line distance, click here, click here, and it'll tell you the distance. Well, now you just take two fingers, hold them down on the map, and it'll tell you the different the distance between those two fingers. Uh-huh. It's That's a huge thing. And then also distance to waypoint, I use for that quite a bit too, especially spot and stalk on pigs because we know where they're at yeah. sometimes. So, uh, you know, uh, some of these monotonous river bottom stuff that we hunt. You kind of know the feeders over there, but at the same time, is it 400 yards or is it 200 yards? I'm, I'm not exactly you. sure right yeah. now. So. Well, remember in Arkansas, and this y'all see, uh, y'all won't see actually this. This didn't actually make the cut, but it's y'all see the Arkansas buck truck video mm-hmm. here at some point. And I remember you bedded a deer the morning I killed, mm-hmm. and we were going to go back to that deer. And I remember using that distance to waypoint from where you assumed that deer bedded. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was that was definitely helpful. Yeah. It would have been real helpful if we'd have believed in it. I know. You know what man. I mean? Um, well, that was a strange thing. And like Tyler said, this is might be on the, the, the Jones cut of this thing, but at some point in time, um, this buck was locked down with a doe and I had to get within 35 yards of him before he got up. Yeah. He would not move. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. So um, what um, else do you use? So I have, you know, here's my, my thoughts on this whole thing. It's like, I have a process we both have diff- – this is where we're a little bit different is our process kind of. Uh, it's very similar in ways, but there are a few different things, right? Um, so the first thing when I get on the maps is I'm finding good spots. If this area hadn't been to or whatever, I go in and try to find good spots. That could be trails. Uh, that could be 
uh, just generally areas that are far from parking, right? Understanding where that is. That could be, uh, well, I'm looking for, you know, acorns or I'm looking for a food source and then betting that relates to that. Um, but then when I put a pin, I use notes all the time and I don't use them every time. But when I put pins, most of the time, at the very least in the caption, I will put what I'm thinking, if not in the description, I will put in that caption like, this hunt's on a north. That was what I was thinking. So that's, that'll help me when I go back to that spot instead of just being like, oh, yeah, it's a cool trail. I was thinking this. Or, you know, half mile from ag, uh, you know, so hunt's on a north or whatever. You know, like I'll, I'll use these little tiny descriptions that help me. Those notes help me when I come back because these are – this is kind of where we're similar is we'll go and just put a bunch of bunch of pins on the map in a spot. And then you, I will almost always come back and get really detailed and find like, I like to have like confidence in three to five really good spots that when I go to the, on the trip, I know like this is my one or two that I'm going to hunt. And then there's another two or three that I really feel good about. And then from there, I can make assumptions on the ground with what we're seeing and those kind of things. But I'm using those notes so that when I come back to get real detailed on all these little pins I put all over the place that I know what I was thinking. And then I can really set up my access, which is kind of the next thing I'll look at. You know, if you're in a marsh, you're going to access down a deer trail a lot of times. So finding that access. And then I use the line tool to see how far that access is. And I'll map that deer trail out or that walking path or whatever. Not super accurate, but accurate enough that I know like it's either 700 or 800 yards or whatever. It's not like the difference in 700 and 1.2 miles. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So I get it fairly accurate and I know within a few hundred yards of what that actual distance is. Um, and that helps, that helps me to know like how much time it's going to take to get in there in the morning, uh, or in the evening and, um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> get in there. And, uh, then I also know, you know, um, what the, well, I'm lost now because you got the wobble going, uh, <laughs> that, so I know that how long it's going to take, but I also know like, do I go through water or will I go through water? And so I've got a few of these, like, if I'm hunting like a big river valley that's got like those cattail marshes and stuff in it, just for instance, you got to know if you can actually get into that stuff. Cause sometimes it is just tamarack or willows or cattails that you're just, you're in they're impenetrable. And so you got to know, like, is there a deer trail going in there? Are there some lower grass areas that I can work around and get through that? So that's very important to me. And then I'm able to make really good, really detailed assumptions from there. Um, I would say I use icons and colors a lot. So color coding, um, and the icon stuff. I usually use the X probably like 50% of the time. And then any trails and crossings, I use those a lot. Like, Oh, this is a trail. So, you know, uh, I'll use the tree stand for, I typically think of those as tree stands for myself. If somebody else's tree stand is there, then I will mark it as not my tree stand. You know, somebody else's tree stand is in there as my description. But if it's a tree stand icon, it's typically where I want to hang a tree stand. Here's the trail. Here's where I want to put the tree stand. I use the access a lot. And then uh, crossings for fence crossings and creek crossings, I use that crossing icon. And then my color coding, I use white for places I have not been yet that I have map scouted. If I've been there and it is a crossing or it is where I want to put a tree stand, I put it in red, uh, just the generic, you know, onyx red. So if I've been there, it's it's the automatic color. If I haven't been there, it's white. 
Um, and then if I feel really good about a spot while I'm map scouting, I'll turn that, put that as blue, like blue ribbon, number one spot. Mm. Um, so that's my, my blue spots are not a whole lot of them are on there. I do it with black usually. Black. Like it's, this is bad as a bone. Yeah. Um, uh, jet black, baby. What do, you, what do you use purple for? Uh, for anything that you do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. If something's weird, I mark it in purple. I, I do too. I yep. think I've done that too. Yep. Um, I use green now. They got a, a good solid green. I use that for any green food sources typically. Mm. I use yellow for corn and brown for beans a lot of times if I do that. Like when I went to Illinois in 2020 and killed that big, huge eight point, um, I used, I went and marked all the food sources because I think I wanted to hunt corn on that trip, if I'm correct. And so I, I put yellows and browns for, you know, beans and corn. I marked every food source that I knew, you know, where I wanted to be in relation on the public ground. So mm-hmm. that's kind of my color coding process a little bit. Uh, um, I've I used some blacks. I can't remember what for now. I use the, um, the picture a whole lot. Yeah. So instead of having to type out a bunch of stuff, I just take a picture of something. Yeah. And then I go like, oh, what's this point? You know, I can yeah. go back and say, oh, that's By the way, it's a scrape the size of a car. That's that, right. That's you know right. What I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then the uh, the radius tool I do use from time to time. Oh. If I'm pre-scouting a spot and I know I want to hang a stand in there, it's like you're trying to find a tree you can hang in that you can shoot that trail from. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to do sometimes. And that yeah. radius tool helps you do that. You can do it with a line distance too, but the radius thing just makes it pretty quick and you can see all directions that you can shoot with the radius tool work. I like it. Yeah, the uh, the picture thing is really good for like a tree stand tree. If you go mm-hmm. into a spot and you're like, man, that's the tree, then you take a picture of it so that when you go back in there, you know that was the tree you wanted to hang in. Yeah. And also, you know how high you want to go, like how many sticks you might need to bring, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very handy. But uh, that's probably about all I got, man, especially considering how bad I need to go take a leak. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got yeah. anything else? No, that's it, man. Okay. Thank y'all for sending in these videos. Yeah. Man. It's pretty cool. Uh, again, y'all make us look bad, so it's always good. Uh, and uh, we'll do more of these if y'all y'all like it. Mm-hmm. Um, look forward to the video podcast being on YouTube at some point in time. That'll come out. Uh, and, uh, you know, it helps us always if you uh, support us and want to play our stuff wherever you're at. Go, mm-hmm. You can go listen to the podcast, watch uh, all the Buck Truck stuff on Meat Eater. Be sure and subscribe over there while you're there. And then also uh, check out some of the stuff we've got coming out on the Element Channel, too, because... Uh, there's been some fun things happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of fun. <laughs> Lots of fun. We talked about the Axis deal recently, you know, yeah. so you guys probably know about that. We've been pig hunting a little bit. The Axis trip has knocked my bow off. Mm, somehow, not so. good, dude. Anyway, that, uh, we'll talk about that more maybe next time, but appreciate you guys sending those things in. That's super helpful for us. I, I love doing stuff like this. Like, I love the Q&A stuff. So thank you guys so much. And remember, this is your element. Live in it. Maybe you were born for a time such as this. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home 
overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY.